This week on Priority One, things are already beginning to shake up with Star Trek Picard, Tarantino starts to put some distance between himself and Star Trek, and Paramount places bets on VR. In gaming news, the mobile game Fleet Command is getting a huge update. Then we wrap our year with two interviews with Cryptic Studios to discuss 2019 milestones and take a glimpse into 2020, featuring an interview with executive producer Andre Emerson. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 442, the final episode of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast for 2019. This is your weekly and final report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse for 2019. This episode was recorded in part live on Tuesday, December 17th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, December 20th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Anthony. And before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on our weekly conversations. Whether via social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or even by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Maintaining these features would not be possible without the support of our patrons, listeners like you, who support the ongoing production of this show by offering a financial contribution each month. This month, we welcome a new patron, Howard Robinson, and... We welcome back Joshua Selig. Thank you so much for your support. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one pod and check out how you can become an admiral in the Priority One podcast listener fleet. So it's the holiday season. We're wrapping up 2019. We've recorded virtually one episode every week this entire year. and It's time to take a little break. But you better believe that when the new year comes rolling around, Priority One will be hitting the ground running. If you haven't already seen, we've been producing something called Captain's Vlog, a title given to us by Mr. Anthony himself. And these are designed to be supplemental videos that are shorter versions of Priority One Podcast without any commentary or discussion, just the headlines. And we like to keep it under 10 minutes or so, something bite-sized, quick, and easy to digest. Now we need some help with that. We're looking for some video editors that have a passion for Star Trek and are interested in joining our community-led team. Now I specify community because we are in fact a community-driven production. Everyone on the team is a volunteer. Much like community theater, we have a passion for podcasting, for creating, for video, and of course, for Star Trek. And we wouldn't be able to produce this show without the support of our community. So if you are a video editor, if you've seen what we've produced already in terms of the captain's vlog, and you think that you might want to join the team and be a part of our little corner of Star Trek history, then reach out to us. We're on incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. 
Another good way to support us is to jump on social media and engage with us. Hit those thumbs up, click that share button, retweet our posts. You, our listeners, are the best connection we have to new listeners. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. The hype shuttle for Star Trek Picard has definitely hit maximum warp, Captains. In fact, Picard is the number one most anticipated TV show of the coming year, at least according to IMDb. And if this week's news reported by Deadline is any indication, CBS is well aware of the hype. The new series doesn't even premiere until January 23rd, 2020, but season two has already been given a $20 million tax incentive by the state of California. For reference sake, Deadline reports that Picard's $20 million incentive is, quote, the most any small screen project has ever been awarded in the California Film Commission program since the then-Governor Jerry Brown officially expanded the credits to $330 million a year, end quote. So, while the cast and crew have been cagey when asked about the potential Season 2, it's hard to argue with $20 million in tax appropriations. Plenty of questions still hang over Season 2 speculation, though. One big uncertainty for fans is the role that Season 1 showrunner Michael Chabon may occupy. You see, on December 10th, Variety reported that the Pulitzer Prize-winning author and his wife producing partner Ilet Waldman inked a deal with Viacom CBS on a new project to adapt his novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. The pair will serve the new project as executive producers and joint showrunners. Now, surely Shabon will remain creatively connected to Star Trek Season 2, perhaps, but it seems like these other commitments will see him step down as showrunner. With lots to still speculate about, only one thing seems certain after season two news. My previous prediction that Star Trek Picard would be a single season swan song for the great captain? Well, I guess not. At least not with a season two, unless they kill him off and then they're aboard the USS Picard and then it's the Picard ship story? Uh, I don't know. So let me ask you, are they putting the cart before the horse with getting season two in the works. Is this just all preemptive? Maybe they won't use the tax credits for Picard season two? Uh, no, I bet they do. I mean, it's all incentive to them, right? So why wouldn't they? And they know they're going to, they already have an audience. I think people are just going to watch. I mean, they only get the tax credit if, if they go through principal photography. So when did they announce season two of Discovery? Was that before the end of season one? Was it even before season one or no, right? It was after season one, no? Or during? Discovery, it was after season one because there was a time period where we didn't know. Or it was towards the end of season one. I mean, part of it is, you know, there's a marketing ploy for lack of a better term, where before you release a film or before you do a season of a TV show, you announce the sequel or the second one because in the marketing people's minds, it's going to make people want to go see this one first, you know, so they see it in theaters so then they can queue up to go see, you know, the next one. It's like whenever they talk about doing a movie trilogy or a movie universe. I mean, maybe they just want to lock all those actors down 
for another season too. I mean, it could be if they're getting hype from being in the show that they might get stolen away for other stuff too. And maybe they need to make deals now. I think the reason why they're announcing this is because they got the tax credit. Because it's all, I mean, unfortunately at this level of production, television, film, it's all a money game. So if they can make the numbers work, yeah, they'll do another season if they if they feel like they can make their money back on it. So in my mind, because they got this award, they're like, oh, well, that's definitely a done deal. Let's go ahead and make a season two. We can announce it because we got the tax credit awarded. That, in my mind, is what this is about. I think th- this award just solidified season two because uh, the budget worked out. It's just for me, there is so much in the press interviews that Patrick Stewart has done and even they've done, I mean, the Comic-Con panels, where it took a lot to convince Sir Patrick Stewart to even do one season. So I don't know. It just seems so out of left field for me right now that they've announced a season two when we haven't had season one yet. The the public still hasn't seen season one. And also... This seemed like a like a one-off thing that that Sir Patrick Stewart wanted to do, not a not a prolonged story, but a a long movie, as he had said in the in the panels and uh, during San Diego Comic Con and New York Comic Con. So I don't know. We'll see. While we're in the mood for speculation. Let's revisit some news we shared last episode. If you recall, we discussed recent statements from new Viacom CBS CEO Bob Backish, and among those was his confirmation that two new Star Trek films are currently in development. The obvious contenders at the time were the Kelvin Timeline Star Trek IV and the much-discussed Quentin Tarantino Star Trek project. But comments made by Tarantino this week are casting doubt on whether his Star Trek project may proceed at all. The Oscar-winning writer-director sat down for an interview with consequenceofsound.net as their filmmaker of the year. In the far-reaching interview, Tarantino once again echoed his commitment to walk away from filmmaking after 10 films. And when questioned whether Star Trek represented that 10th film, he answered, quote, I think I'm steering away from Star Trek, but I haven't had an official conversation with those guys yet, end quote. He went on to add, quote, but in a weird way, it actually kind of freed me up. I mean, I have no idea what the story of the next one's going to be. I don't even have a clue, end quote. So this is interesting because that and that last quote there where he says, I mean, I have no idea what the next story is going to be. I interpret that as being his what his 10th film is going to be, not what the plot of the next Star Trek movie is going to be. What do you guys think? No, I think he's referring to the Star Trek films. I think I, I I think this could be interpreted in two ways. The obvious is that he's lost interest in the project and he's moving on to other stuff. Probably because they just announced Noah Hawley as the director and writer of Star Trek 4. And that movie seems to be chugging along rather firmly and quickly, at least from what we know. And he you know, wants to move on to do other stuff. He's got a schedule to keep. He wants to be working on things at a certain time. That's probably the likely of the two. The other one could be he he's playing a little game. He wants he wants to say he's walking away so that somebody will come to him and firm up, you know, a deal. People do that all the time. Actors, directors, things like that. They'll make a public comment and then that'll steer a negotiation one way or the other. I, you know, I really, really want to see a, a Tarantino Star Trek film, but if he's saying this stuff now and we're getting a Star Trek, you know, before his, I I think we're I think we're on the back nine if if that's a saying at all. I feel like if Star Trek was in a different position right now, having a Tarantino film would be amazing, but because of all the content and everything that's coming out, out, I don't know that it will have the same glamour as it would have before. Well, that brings us to our first community question for this episode. 
and our last for 2019. If Star Trek development project number two isn't Trekantino, what do you hope it is? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media posts asking this very same community question. Paramount Pictures and VR platform service Big Screen Inc. have announced a new partnership. Under the new arrangement, Big Screen's virtual theater platform will distribute classic Paramount movies in 10 countries around the world. Starting December 16, 2019, Big Screen will show four new movies every week, with each movie run lasting one week. Showtimes will begin every 30 minutes as live pay-per-view events. Captains, you'll be happy to hear that the Kelvin Star Trek films are among the titles in the December lineup. The virtual screenings will include 2D movies as well as select 3D movies rendered to create a unique 3D experience for virtual reality viewers. Besides just watching the films, Big Screen offers users a virtual lobby with personal avatars and a voice chat to add a social aspect to the experience. CEO and founder of Big Screen, Darshan Shankar says, quote, We are excited to enable fans around the world to chat and watch films together in our virtual movie theater, end quote. Big Screen Service supports the Oculus Quest, Oculus Rift, Oculus Go, HTC Vive, Valve Index, Steam VR, and Microsoft Mixed Reality. To find out more and to see a list of upcoming films, check out the links in our show notes. You know, I have a Oculus Rift sitting right next to me that more often than not, collects dust. But if we can all log in and watch a film together in a virtual theater, that's pretty cool. Now, here's what I would love to see develop from this company, and that is premiere date movies. So, for instance, Star Wars is coming out next week. Friday. Oh, How Friday, awesome. the 20th. Yeah. Yeah. How awesome would it be if instead of going to the theater to watch it, a group of us can log into VR and watch it virtually or in any aspect, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know why we haven't moved to that aspect of being able to you know, watch movies as they premiere or even a week later or whatever so that friends can watch films and TV together. You know what would really impress me with CBS All Access if they, if they did like a watch together feature or Netflix watch together feature. I mean, they, Microsoft played around with it on their Xbox. I'd love to see that happen with VR. I'd watch that if I had a VR. I definitely would watch some Star Trek movies with people that, you know, I know and like, and that'd be fun. I think this is a dumb idea. Are you really? serious? I hate it. I hate this idea. Why? I cannot. I I don't know why anybody would want to watch a movie on a screen two inches from their eyeballs strapped to their head. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Wait a minute. First of all, are you... Hold on a second. Are, do you know how VR technology works like an Oculus? Like, you can get some really high pixel density from a virtual reality rig. I, I just... I, it doesn't matter how in my clear chair or with crisp. my VR in my head, watching a film and getting a full theatrical... Uh, uh, the inches of a actual theater screen in my VR headset rather than watching it on my whatever monitor but you're not, or But my you're television. not. There's no way. Yes, you there's are. No way, there's no way that they can cram 5K in. No, not yet. Not 5K. Not yet. Do you have a 5K screen at home? No, I don't. That's why I go to a movie theater. Yeah, I guess. I mean, granted, they're 4K now, but film film is 5K. Now we're at 4K with digital cinema. And it's just like, it. plus you go for the experience. You go for that communal experience of being in a theater. Sticky of 80 strangers floor. having the same I mean, emotional reaction at the same time. I mean, there's, 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 that. that's humanity. Like, that's, that's, I just I only, don't understand no, no, why I you would want to. I only like wanna... doing that for specific films. 
I'm like, I do like going to the movies, but I also like watching movies at home without the sticky floor and the extra popcorn and, you know, how expensive it is. Here's the thing. If I could, I don't I don't disagree with you that that sometimes for some movies that communal experience is great. I think back to when Fathom Events did the season finales that coincided with the DVD Blu-ray releases of uh, TNG right watching something like star trek together yeah, that's really cool that's exciting but I, I personally i don't really go to the movies anymore a they tend to be overpriced and b i have a pretty decent setup at home where i get the home theater i get the theater experience at home and if i can do that with my oculus rift even better i i don't know you see this makes this i'm cool with this I'm, i don't like big crowds big crowds make me anxious i'm not a big big crowd person so this is good for me if i can talk with you guys and be like oh my god did you see that while we're on the oculus rift no why would you talk great. during a movie oh my god for the same reason that in a group oh. in a massive theater everybody goes <gasps> ah! anyway we're talking way too much about this <laughs> all right then well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. We may now know what the next featured task force operation mission will be. Well, according to a loading screen on the Tribble test server anyway, Prepare to be assimilated. If the updates to Tribble for Star Trek Online are to be believed, the Borg resurgence event will include remastered versions of Infected, The Conduit, Into the Hive, and Kittermer Vortex. Bye-bye parsing! This event will also be the third and final in the event campaign series for the free Tier 6 ship coupon. The Tribble server's calendar for in-game events has the events starting on Tuesday, January 7th and running until January 28th. And once you've completed the featured TFO after 14 days, you will unlock one of three separate variants of the cyclic modulation ground weapon. Sound familiar? Well, many players are pointing out the similarity in name to the Infinity Modulator from Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. This also wouldn't be the first time the game devs have included a sci-fi-ish, gear-inspired weapon from other properties. <coughs> Proton rifle, <coughs> Lightsabers. <coughs> Future flyer. Unfortunately, though, Cryptic has not yet officially announced this event. Not even during our upcoming interview with them. So, any and all details are subject to change. This could all be just rumor and gossip. Take it with a grain of salt. It makes sense because Picard season one is debuting in the middle of January. It has a Borg storyline. The Borg were the first big bad guys from the beginning of the game 10 years ago, and we're heading into the 10th anniversary. I think this makes sense. And I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of excited about it. I, you know, fighting the Borg is just different than fighting all the other enemies in the game and I think I think this is going to be a lot of fun and I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. I mean, I've used infected conduit to be the parsing measure for my builds. I'm curious to see how this if at all will affect that or how the changes are going to differ. I I think I'm going to miss 
these old Borg missions because they've been in the game for just so long, you know? Like, I don't know that I want to let them go. You know, I miss the original STFs that you had to, like, know what you were doing and they lasted, you know, two to three to four to five hours, you know, and they were really difficult. I miss those. And then when they when they broke those up and, and turned them into what is now the TFOs, I, I, you know, to me, to me, that's when they were gone. So I'm, I'm glad they're remastering them and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they're, they're bringing them back in a new fashion. That makes me more excited to play them. Star Trek Online and Cryptic have teamed up with Yogg's Cast and Humble Bundle for the Jingle Jam Charity Drive. By paying a minimum of $30 for December's Humble Bundle, you can get access to over 60 games and offers, including a Star Trek Online Elite Federation Starter Pack. The pack includes a Tier 6 Reliant class, 12 inventory slots, 12 bank slots, 2 bridge officer slots, a Borg bridge officer, Mark II very rare gear for both space and ground, and a Starfleet Academy uniform. The Elite Federation starter pack is normally 2,000 Zen, or about 20 US dollars. Hurry though, the bundle is only available until December 31st. Check out the show notes for a link. And moving on to other Star Trek gaming. The popular mobile game, Star Trek Fleet Command, has released another big update as the game crosses the one-year mark. Along with a slew of bug fixes and updates comes 120 new star systems to explore, 12 new ships to unlock, 60 new upgrades to research, and over 400 new missions. Also added in this update is a new building called the Scrapyard, giving players the ability to dismantle unused ships for resources. The new update is called Deep Space and entices players to venture out into the unknown. Star Trek Fleet Command is currently available on Android and iOS devices. Now, Captains, we invite our very special guests to wrap up our final episode for 2019. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, on our last episode for the year... 2019. We are joined by lead producer Jared Fisher and content designer John Hegner. Thank you both for joining us on our last episode of the year. Hello, thank you. Thank you for inviting. Thanks for having us. So 2019 was a big year for Star Trek Online uh, with respect to how well it integrated with Discovery. Uh, Why don't we talk and first start with discussing 2019 as a whole, what are you most proud of in terms of what was published and what players got to see this year? See, well, I, I do like, as you mentioned, the integration of uh, Discovery content in our game. Uh, I do like our spin on it. I especially liked how we used uh, Stamets as, as a hologram instead of uh, finding a way to use like the, the real Stamets. I thought it was a like, creative idea to try to go that route. Um, I like how the stories lined up w- with that content. And then also, as far as like with the game itself, I, I also... Uh, like the new event system that we put out with our release in September, which allows us to, you know, put old and uh, new content together uh, for, you know, to give players a variety of things to do every month. It's like deal them a nice, brand new, fresh hand of mm-hmm. content every every cycle. Yep. And for those of you unfamiliar with uh, their voices, that was uh, Jared, who was just speaking, correct? Yes. Great, great. So, um, and John, what about yourself? Um, I enjoyed telling more of the story about uh, Captain Lorca and the Baran prior to what uh, we see in the show. Uh, it was It's very enjoyable to sort of flesh out that stuff 
and not have to worry about how well does this mesh with uh, where the current story in Star Trek Discovery is. Uh, so it's sort of like our own little sandbox playground to play in. Because Discovery gives us sort of a, a, a timeline in the Federation that we don't get to see a whole lot of. We, I think we saw most of it in DS9 where there's just open warfare kind of going on. Um, gets to tell sort of the stories that match up more with the gameplay that we see in Star Trek Online for the most part, which is lots of phaser fire and photon torpedoes just cracking ships in half. Now, Jared, I want to ask you a question as lead producer. Working on a game title that also has a living television and film version happening at the same time, how does that affect your workflow and your planning for Star Trek Online throughout the year or throughout broadcasting of Star Trek shows? Well, um, yeah, it's actually changed quite a bit since uh, Discovery came out. Before that, you know, we were able to play off of the old TV shows that had already aired in the and the, and the films. So with Discovery, you know, we've tried to sync up as, as much as we can with um, when the content comes out on television. We do work with CBS, who uh, does help us get assets for the con- some of the content that we do put out. But as we're planning it, um, we are in a position where, you know, we do want to actually watch the episodes. We, we don't have access to watch the episodes earlier than the public. There is a, there's a lot of stuff we know beforehand, but it's really until we watch that and then uh, we incorporate that into our story as best we can. Um, what we've been doing with Discovery content really is kind of filling in some gaps that have uh, been put in the show, like, uh, like digging into Landry, um, and then uh, some of the post stuff like we did with Stamets or uh, doing Killy, a story with Killy and where she went um, after she did, you know, disappeared in the storyline in the TV show. And so when we're planning it out, we, we kind of watch the episodes and we think, like, what stories can we tell that weren't explained uh, fully in the show? And then we sort of plan out how quickly can we put that out given our schedule. And that really helped us out a lot for like the first year or so when we've been doing Discovery. Now we're, we're more towards uh, doing Discovery content within our own storylines. So that's how we're kind of planning it out since uh, we've kind of, you know, we're waiting to see like uh, the, uh, how the Picard show works out. But that, that's for, you know, later next year. So right now how we're planning out other storylines that more directly connect to some of the stories that we come up for Star Trek Online. So the release of the Discovery content in Star Trek Online has sort of been, as, as Al put it, this uh, expansion over time. Mm-hmm. And it was really the first time you guys had done that uh, throughout the, the history of the game. What were the challenges that you had to face production-wise from that kind of a schedule? And what were the lessons you kind of learned from that looking towards the future expansions? I think kind of uh, some of the stuff I already touched on was just um, some of the stuff we just don't know until we actually view the episodes. So what we've kind of learned is like we're leaning more towards making our own storylines that incorporate Discovery elements and sort of waiting until first season of Picard and the next season of Discovery kind of play out to see how we want to do it. Um, because we were, we were trying to run it pretty close, but we were coming with some hurdles with just a... Uh, not knowing if we had enough uh, information or assets to really go forward with our storylines and the and the items that we've created, that's that's probably our biggest learning lesson is like to kind of wait until more of it's out so that we can really incorporate that into future season launches. 
But of course, we also don't want to jump the gun too much because yeah. we don't want to tread on toes and we want to make sure that a handshakes is as good as possible. So, yeah. John, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the content that uh, you helped produce for this year? Why don't you give us a bit of a recap of things players might recognize that is your work? Everything sort of starts to bleed together. I think Repost <laughs> came out at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. So Repost was the first thing that I put out this year. Um, and that was a ton of fun to work on. I had wanted to do like a large scale, like, like counterattack sort of storyline since Discovery had launched because the Federation was always on the back foot with the exception, of course, with the USS Discovery, which was basically the only ship that was doing any sort of offensive maneuvers to try to stymie the uh, Klingon advance. We also had the, the, the story thrust going forward of, we want to know more about Lorca and what happened after Discovery bounced out over Pavo and the nine months that happened between and, and uh, all that all those story elements that just sort of are ripe for us to explore. So I started with Operation Riposte and then uh, uh, springboarding off of that, that gave us the opportunity to sort of showcase uh, Lorca and Landry's relationship before the swap happened. Uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen. Uh, season one of Discovery. That led, uh, so the, the groundbreak of, of Riposte was sort of uh, setting the scene of like how desperate things were getting in the Klingon Civil War, or not the Klingon Civil War, the, the Klingon attack on, on the Federation. With plausibility of the possible, we, we got to introduce you to sort of the human side uh, rather than the starship side of things and introduce all the characters that you were going to, to be interacting with and uh, having heartfelt feelings for as the content and story unfolded and set the stage for where Discovery sort of pops up into the storyline. Now, I don't think when Repost came out, we were, that was after we had been there in January. And, um, right, am I right? Yeah. My question to you is when creating a story like that, that is so heavily dependent on main, major characters and main characters in a live television series, especially with with Lorca and Landry, what is the the process to kind of, you know, bridge that gap? We're aware that you guys have some assets that, that CBS will send you guys, and but you like you've said now, you know, you're usually watching the shows with us, right? Well, at that point, uh, you know, Landry was no longer part of the show due to a unfortunate decision involving a phaser rifle and a tardigrade. Um, <laughs> And uh, Lorca's storyline had, uh, at least the, the Lorca that we knew, had come to an end, and we had not seen any indication of what had happened to Prime Lorca. I'm pretty sure we had confirmed with CBS that we had free reign to sort of explore that as, as much as we wanted. At any rate, they signed off on what we gave them, so, uh, so that was all handled. So once, once we have sort of that door open and, and all the corners are, are clear and the, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, it's free reign to, to you know explore that, and uh, th that's what we did with Repostas. We knew that the the Lorca that we were that we meet in Discovery Repost was happening before that, so we could kind of write in whatever we wanted uh, to to showcase exactly who those characters were. Same with Landry, and we really wanted to like all of that really led up to who was Landry as a person because um, when we meet her in Discovery, she seems to have a lot of darkness about her, not really uh, care for her own life, very aggressive, and we wanted to see how a Federation officer of her standing became that and was also like supremely loyal to Lorca. 
knowing that the Lorca she was actually loyal to in the show was actually the Mirrorverse version. So that led us down the path of exploring like how manipulative is the Mirrorverse Lorca? What does he tap into upon first meeting Landry that allows him to to retain her absolute loyalty to him? And that sort of pushed us in the direction of like something bad must have happened in her life that that Lorca, the, the real Lorca, was there to help her through. That was the base bones that we worked off of. And then we started fleshing it out and coming up with, well, what if this? What if that? Is the real Lorca in at this point in the story? What if the mirror version is already here? Um, and so it was a lot of writers' room sort of theory crafting on what would make sort of the nice roller coaster story we ended up with. Now, you're not just writing dialogue, right? You're actually creating the mission, right? Yeah, I'm mostly doing the content stuff. Uh, so I, we all work very closely with Paul Reed, who's our, our lead writer, um, who does fantastic rewrites of all of our stuff that we're, you know, we're, we're jamming in basically the bare bones version of the dialogue and the story stuff, and then he massages it into, into art. So with a, a mission like this, you know, one that is tied to and linked in some way to the, to the actual show, in a 10-year-old MMO, what challenges do you face to make sure that, you know, players don't get tired or bored or it's, you know, so the same old, same old? You know, I know that we're about to celebrate 10 years, which is an incredible milestone, but I can also imagine challenging in some ways. Well, I, I think specifically with Discovery, we we had a, a new thread to sort of pull on, uh, but all the, all the threads eventually lead back to the main sweater, which is we're in 2409 in the main game. We know what our end goal is, which is to get all the players into the same time stream. Just alone with that thread, we want to have some fun with it and make it a unique experience that sort of gives everybody a reason to play all those different threads, because when it all comes together, they have a number of facets of of viewing the, the overall picture with their various characters and, and shared experiences. You know, we generate the 2256 content, uh, make that a, a story all on its own, and then we happily ship that along and then uh, push everybody into, into 2409 current content. And they have their own sort of, you know, bite-sized mini-series uh, that, that is flavored for the Discovery content in that regard that is unique and new, and, and hopefully they look forward to to whatever what the show puts out later that we incorporate in another thread. But you're you're also creating the action, correct? And the actual yes. mission, right? So the, the go to point A, point B, point C. Yep. Here there be ships, they go boom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So with with respect to the mechanics, what is that process for you now working on an MMO that is living and breathing for ten years? With the discovery stuff, uh, because it was it was ultimately about the character well with, with plausibility of the possible and then the impossibility of reason, um, because the character development was, was structured toward telling the story of Landry and, and mirror Lorca before we meet him in the show, before we meet both of them in the show, and, and sort of what led them to be in, uh, in the mindset that they were at when we meet them in the show. We knew going in that we, we needed to structure the mission content such that there were breaks between the action that didn't feel forced, that felt natural, where you got to meet these characters and interact with them rather than just having an entire segment that's just having conversations. And it's like, okay, here's the info dump, now go blow stuff. Like, we wanted it to have a cadence that felt appropriate for the character learning. And in bite-sized chunks, so you're not just, like, slammed with a wall of text and expected to absorb all of it and then do all the action all at once. So uh, that was the main thrust. And so, like, Plausibility of the possible, um, we start the cadence off very slow where 
you are getting to meet everybody. It feels a little bit like uh, like a Next Generation episode or something where you have sort of that five minutes before the first title screen uh, blow through where you're, you're sort of setting the stage and then things start to go sideways. So the Klingons start, you know, beaming aboard the ship, and but you've already met everybody. We've given you just enough information to care uh, about who these people are running around on, on board the Baran with you. And then as it carries through, the the story unfolds. You realize what the stakes are. Everybody weighs in on what the you know their view of what the stakes are, the the obstacles that you have to sort of come to terms with morality wise and stuff like that. Um, but the whole time you're playing through as a player, it's like. The combat comes and goes in nice cadence. The little bite-sized bits of information come through uh, about character development in a nice cadence. And I think we struck a pretty good balance there. So when you're pulling all of the elements together to create the content, you know, we hear we hear so many stories about how this little piece of tech, you know, just worked at the last second. A, a couple of examples that come to mind are the... Zinkethi episode where you play as the Zinkethi, the exploding mud holes in um, impossibility as to which <laughs> impossibility <Yeah>. of reason. <laughs> Thank you. When there's these challenges where the tech isn't quite working right, what's the process that you go through leading up to the release of the content? And is there ever a moment, or 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 have there been moments where you've you've had to change things drastically to to get the content finished for release? Jared can speak on it from a production side, but from my point of view and as a designer, we always design under the idea that a backup plan or two might be necessary. Um, and it comes up almost every meeting we have where it's, you know, we risk eval, we do it weekly, where is this at, what, you know, are there any other hurdles that sort of have cropped up? And as, you know, professional game developers, it's like we we are expected and we know how to pivot when things don't work out the exact way. And this even happens when everything's going swimmingly and it's just we play test something and it just it doesn't end up hitting all the fun bars that we want and we we go, well, what's the minimal amount of scrapping we have to do in order to get this into this other state that we are pretty certain is going to be more fun? Um, so there is a little bit of experimenting going on, but we we don't do it haphazardly. We we have a backup plan in place. Yeah, and and, and as you mentioned, with a, from production standpoint, so I'm, I'm doing a lot. Of, I'm doing a lot of the scheduling, and it's also about building, you know, beforehand, making sure there's enough time to experiment. We've been doing a lot more of that lately, the last couple of years, of giving more time for the teams to experiment to make these features work. And and then uh, we, as you said, as uh, John mentioned, we play test a lot, we review, and we often go and try to solve those issues first, the ones that we feel are points that could take up a lot of time if it's too complicated. And then we uh, have to make a decision on whether or not we should scale it down, get rid of it. Sometimes we'll have like a backup idea that ends up being a better idea. So it really just depends on what we're working on at any given time. Have you ever been able to recover any ideas that didn't work in one instance and use them for for content later on? Coming in a TFO soon. <laughs> <laughs> Quite seriously, there was a mechanic that I had initially put into Repost that uh, just made it a little too complex. So we we pulled it out and I used that as the basis for a TFO that is coming soon to a computer near you. It's one of those happy little accidents that um, as my career has gone on, I've learned to identify things that can be compartmentalized and then recycled later. A lesson I learned very early on in game development and it has an unfortunate name, but that's how I learned it was don't be afraid to kill your children, which sounds very morbid, but it, uh, the 
uh, analogy is to you know when you're when you're writing and creating this stuff, you you get very invested in it um, and love it to a certain degree. And when it doesn't work out, it is a pitfall to fall into that you'll you'll keep pushing the issue past the point of, of no return, and that's where you end up in problems in development. But if an, if an idea isn't working out within the scheduled amount of time, um, it's often best to put a hatchet in it, bury it, and then resurrect it later uh, when, when you have more time to do some, some research and development on it and figure out why it wasn't working or what the major pitfall was, or to have you know an engineering task finally come through that does make it a lot easier to implement. We're moving into the 10th year of uh, this massively multiplayer online game, and and I'm fascinated by the process by which you guys kind of brainstorm and think about how to you know, keep this game at the forefront of MMOs as a free-to-play MMO and, and bring in new audiences. You know, of course, the the, the new live-action Star Trek, you know, will most certainly bring in uh, curious players. But you mentioned some of the TFOs, for instance, and things coming down the pike. What are you keeping in mind, or how are you designing new content, new missions, new interactions for players? Or what are you keeping in mind when when designing these things in order to keep the game fresh and, you know, keeping those cheeks and seats, so to speak? Well, I can kind of speak to, because I've actually lately been planning out the next year, like uh, between now and actually next anniversary. As, as I mentioned before, you know, we're, we're leaning more towards doing our stories with discovery elements in it until we see what the other shows are you know um their seasons are fully done but um how we try to make it fresh is uh, part of what we've been doing also the last couple years is is going back and trying to take systems and and like give them a facelift or uh, remaster them or um coming up with new systems that in that engage players more Um, like our endeavor system that we came out with last year and then we we made the personal endeavor this year, just to give people something uh, new new things to do every uh, you know every day. How we remastered the uh, event system so that it was you know more clear and more concise. Like going through the uh, mission journal and removing some that you know we we uh, that don't really fit the quality bar of what we had before. Um, they're still available, but you know not in the in the main journal. And then uh, trying to figure out what well, we can go back and maybe clean up and put out again. A couple of the TFOs that we've remastered and patrols. So it's really about like taking some of our older stuff and putting it up to the quality bar that we've been trying to hit the last couple years. And then just seeing what we can do to engage, engage the players more in um, playing some of the content from the past and uh, along with the new stuff that we've been doing. As we get more information of the Picard show, of Discovery, and just seeing how that can affect our storyline. So there's a list of stuff that, you know, we talk about what we can do to to remaster. And there's also, there's always a list of stuff that we've been wanting to do for a long time, but haven't found the time to do it. So we're a long ways away from having like a small group of things to do. We, We always have a long list, plenty to do for years to come. At the heart of all the content, we always are paying attention to what the core gameplay is, what what your character investment uh, as you're developing your character over the many levels and getting loot and upgrades and stuff like that. It's we look into leaning hard into rewarding you for doing that, giving you opportunities to show your expertise for your character. So when we put a break in the story, you know the heavy story elements where there's a combat that gives you the opportunity to engage in the core gameplay, um, which is you know angling deflectors and and putting fire on weakened shield facings of the enemy. You've mentioned the 
quality of life issues and you know the last year and a half especially we've seen a lot of really great quality of life improvements you mentioned the event system i'm wondering when you're building the schedule are you planning for more of that time in the future or is that something you try to fit in when you can uh, i um i do try to block out a chunk of time for each you know in, in each major release that we do over the course of a year to pick something that we're going to take and, and remaster. We don't, uh, when we, like I mentioned, we have a list of things that we'd like to do. And some stuff, sometimes it just comes up, like uh, like the patrols that we've been doing that wasn't planned and we sort of thought like, hey, why don't we do something with these patrols that have just been, we've had patrols for a long time, but we kind of been ignoring it. And that just came up out of the blue. And then there are other things like the character creator, which is something that we, you know, we wanted to do for a long time and finally got around to you know, updating that for the PC. It's a mixture of both things. Some stuff is just because we're always brainstorming, especially like, uh, you know, Andre and I and our other producer, Justin, we have meetings every morning. And a lot of the times they're like, what can we do this month? What can we do next month? And and just from talking about it, we come up with ideas and some of them are exciting. We do it right away. And some of them, you know, it's like that take a long time. The longer the, the longer the estimated task time, that's those are the ones that are harder to do like right away some of the stuff we have to plan down the line but we're, we're always trying to find time for that one of the things the quality of life also adds uh on development side and you can correct me if i'm wrong but it gives us more sort of brick sizes to play with uh in terms of what content we can do um some some pieces of content take less time to develop than others and so the more sizes we have we can sort of fill that schedule with a little bit more bite-sized things to fill in the gaps between major major uh content pieces and is there a, a short list of items that you're hoping to get to soon? Something that you can sort of tease us with? There is a big one that we're working on that may take a long time to incorporate. We might see some soon in the year, but yeah, we don't really want to spoil anything. But there's, there is definitely something that we're working on that I think players will be excited. There's a couple of things. There's actually enough things that we're working on that people are going to be excited about that I'm not sure which thing Jared is referring to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Again, moving forward into to 2020, I know you can't tell us very much, and you've already teased a little bit of, of some of the content. You know, we're looking at the anniversary event, of course, so I presume there's a nice juicy mission coming with that, the, <laughs> the, the big old Star Trek Online Legends. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, you know, we always do it every year, so yes, of course. This past year, you know, we saw some of the TFO revamps, we saw some of the uh, mission revamps, things like that. There was some player concern that, that it had seemed that at least for one or two of the TFOs that they were they were reskins of some of them. What can you say to that? You know, what what are your goals when introducing a new TFO, a new actionable for players to, to participate in to get players to stay in the game and participate? Um, yeah, well, with that one, I know which one, I forget the name of it, I know it was uh, the Pavo one, Parallel over Pavo, I think. Um, so yeah, that one was, you know, a reskin. We, um, we toyed around with doing a remaster of, of that particular one that it was based off of, and we decided to theme it with a Parallel over Pavo. But I think going forward, what we're really doing is either creating brand new TFOs from scratch or re remastering one of the many that we have, some of the older ones that we have that we really want to uh, improve upon and just, because uh, the quality bar for our TFOs have really gone up in the last couple of years. We want to make those dynamic and exciting something because they're replayable. We want people to replay those as much as, as uh, we can. So those are really where we're leaning towards and not so much doing reskins like that, that one that came out earlier this year. 
Now, I do want to ask this. As you said that you have are essentially living with us in terms of what's happening on the small and big screens for Star Trek. Has there ever been a moment where you're, wa- as a lead producer, you're watching it, right? And you're going, oh my God, we have to stop what we're doing and fix this XYZ. Or are you so far ahead that it's just impossible to do something like that? I can't remember if something that we, we had to fix something. I mean, there might have been a couple changes on the ship design that, you know, Thomas or somebody on the ship art team had to go in and tweak. We haven't had to majorly throw anything out because we're, we're trying to be really careful about it because like I, like I mentioned before, like we, we do get information from CBS, we do get some assets, but you know, they're, they're constantly tweaking and changing their show just like every other show nowadays in the digital age of television where you can just, you know, continue to work on shows till the day before they go live. And we just want to make sure that, you know, when we see it, the final product that all the customers, you know, the viewers watch, that we're making something that matches exactly what we're seeing on the show. So we, we are very careful with it. Like Al is very good at, you know, um, making storylines that kind of touch on stuff we've already seen that kind of enhance um, some of the storyline aspects. And um, so, yeah, we, we've been lucky where we haven't had to come across that issue where we had to throw something huge out because of that. Yeah, and because we're we're kind of doing stuff in parallel or meanwhile or like in this time gap in the story, we'll have like an event happen. We're in a complex dance routine with the yeah. show and we're doing our best not to step on their toes. So, yeah, but it's definitely something we keep we keep our eyes open for. But I think we plan ahead enough that, you know, we have that anticipation that like if, if the story yeah. goes in a direction we didn't anticipate, is this going to s- screw up what we're working on? Yeah. And when we're building our episodes um, and our TFOs, we always have a backup plan, like we've mentioned before. It's like we can easily switch to um, going a different route. But that's always the way that that's the way we do it anyway. We've always done it because sometimes we pivot to a better idea. So um, that's always incorporated into our work. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us on this episode, our final episode of Priority One uh, of 2019. Thank you both for joining us again this week. And is there anything we, you know, this is a moment where we leave the mic open uh, for you to tease or tell us what uh, what we have to look forward to in 2020 or something that you wanted to address to the community? I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm really excited about the anniversary. I, I know that, you know, our anniversary is kind of a big deal, but it being, you know, the nice double digit 10 because people love double digit anniversaries of things that you know we're doing something really special um on and around the anniversary so i'm really looking forward to that thank you both and uh until next year all right thank you very much thank you for the invite captains last but certainly not least we want to end our 2019 run with none other than star trek online's executive producer Andre Emerson. Thank you so very much for joining us. And with him is Star Trek Online's community manager, Mike Ambassador Kale. Thank you so very much, both of you, for joining us on the last episode of 2019. Oh, you, you can see, if, for those of you, because this is an audio medium, you can't see me standing behind Andre with a very large mallet that says we don't talk about upcoming content. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm here with uh, my favorite guy in the room. So. Yay! I think. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> he he nice. means the mallet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, in getting ready for this interview, Mike, you sent us over a, a nice list of things that Star Trek Online accomplished in 2019. Uh, a list that was shared with you, right, Andre? Why don't we, you know, just kind of top down looking at this list. How does it make you feel putting it into perspective like this? When you think about everything you want to accomplish in a given season, in a given release, and even though you think about the year, you're really focused on more of the near term. And every once in a while, when you get uh, an opportunity to reflect and you see how much above and beyond you're able to accomplish uh, from just the, the core goals, it's always, it always feels good when um, you, know, you see a list as sort of big as ours and as meaningful as a lot of it is. And I, I couldn't be more pleased with how much the team has done in addition to sort of what was set out to accomplish. Now, when looking back on 2019, what would you say is your proudest project that was released to the public? I think it's I think it's tough. If we're talking about sort of like the, you know, something that started and finished within this calendar year, one thing I'm super proud of because, you know, it touches certainly my family and I know lots of families is when we put together a program for, for breast cancer um, to be able to raise, I believe it was, something like 74839 bucks, something like that. And um, I was super proud to be part of that because to be able to take something from the game and translate that into helping others, it, it transcends gaming and it, and it takes it to a whole nother place. And those are the kind of things like, as you look back a day, a week, a month, a year, several years, you won't necessarily remember uh, a piece of armor you added to the game, a, a weapon, um, but when you think back how something that you've contributed to has been able to be translated to help others who are in, in great need, um, there, there's nothing that I could think of, certainly from this year, that could even, you know, other than maybe Extra Life is right there too, um, but to be able to translate and, and to give back is uh, extremely meaningful. And I think it really speaks to the generosity of Star Trek fans because, you know, we Indeed. Um, we had a limited number of packs up, uh, but it was pay what you want and you didn't have to spend, you know, tons of money and people were throwing values in the hundreds of dollars at us in both Extra Life and in um, the Breast Cancer Awareness <clears throat> Promotion for items that they could have gotten elsewhere. And I think it's, it, it's incredibly, incredibly generous and it just speaks to what fandom of Star Trek is like and what kind of lessons the show has has left with us. With that in mind, you know, we've, you know, looking back on 2019, you've been executive producer now for... Two years next month. Two years. Two years next month. When you look back on the two years and looking ahead into the third year, what kind of mark do you want to have on, on Star Trek Online? Or do you want... What is your legacy that you want to have with Star Trek Online? Well, c coming in, there were a few goals. I mean, one of them was certainly, uh, and this one's hard to do because it's subjective, but one of those was to do no harm. Uh, another was to, when that day comes, to hopefully leave it better than I found it. And all the steps along the way are sort of like the, the building blocks toward accomplishing that. You know, there were some themes that uh, we wanted to accomplish, and I think we're well on our way to doing so in terms of accessibility. I think that's a word that uh, uh, that I use often that ends up coming up through a lot of our initiatives. I mean, being able to fulfill fantasies, have people, have players 
experience it the way they want to experience it and some of that comes through in the the journal updates some of it comes through in the scaling t6 ships it, it, and some of it comes through in the uh, allowing uh, lower level players to be part of the event system it's really about sort of accessibility uh, being incredibly inclusive and just allowing that fantasy fulfillment to be something you can jump right into and not feel like there's a bunch of um, you know sort of barriers that have been you know erected over a 10-year run so it's something we're we're constantly looking at and something that is it's incredibly important to me that we be accessible and you came into star trek at a unique time or rather star trek online at a unique time because Roughly two years ago was when Discovery came out. I presume that relationship development with CBS to produce a game that is living alongside of broadcast television presented its own challenges. And so I, I presume that you never, in your past experience in game development, have you ever been in that environment before? Have you ever been in that situation where you're you're not only producing a game, but you're also producing a game with a living show happening at the same time. Well, I've worked on quite a few licensed properties, um, Family Guy and, and, and all sorts of stuff, but um, this was unique in that it sort of aligned with, with some of the accessibility goals, like to, it's it's very difficult. Like sometimes when, when I or, or a team member has an idea, we have to think about how that paints back through 10 years of content and you know, a lot of things end up being sort of either go, no go, or backburnered because of the number of things that any thought you may have, sort of the tendrils and how that touches so many different areas of the game. So, uh, Discovery, you know, was a huge benefit for the game, but also a benefit for sort of my transitioning into the team because in building a new starting experience and building what was sort of an expansion over time, it was an education for me and some of the other newer folks that, that had come onto the team to sort of go through the full cycle of what, what an expansion is like at Cryptic and for Star Trek Online, but over a period of time that let us sort of absorb a lot of it uh, in real time. So I think it was an incredible learning experience. We got to see what uh, people reacted positively, negatively to. And, you know, for a lot of the guys who are newer to the team, you know, going on that journey was uh, quite beneficial and, and we expected to, to pay forward. Now, Star Trek Online this year especially has grown beyond the computer screen or the TV screen. You've developed uh, a lot of relationships with some outside entities like IDW Comics, Pribble Toys, Mixed Dimensions, the San Francisco Giants, you know, Eagle Moss. There's, there's, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but can you talk a little bit about maybe how some of those relationships came about, how much you're involved with those things, and, and, and how fun is it to sort of be able to, uh, and, and maybe this is more of a question for Mike too, uh, how fun is it to be able to be involved in some of those things as they're happening? Well, I think we can you know, sort of both chime in with point of view here. I think anytime you're working on a global brand that's, that's as huge as Star Trek, some of these partnerships allow us to move outside of our comfort zone. It allows us to take advantage and benefit from each other's efforts and learning. So, you know, like we, there's actually a brand new product for Mixed Dimensions, which is the, the plaque. You know, to see these things come to life is actually quite rewarding from the development team standpoint, because, 
it's a reminder and validation of sort of the importance of the work and, and the scope of the brand. And we're continually encouraged by CBS to, to explore these things. And they've actually sort of connected the dots on a number of these things to set up the relationships. And, and for Eagle Moss to be producing, developing ships that were directly out of Stowe, for Stowe to be building ships that came directly from the comic, you know, to get this sort of uh, circuitous energy is, um, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's, I mean, the really cool thing has been, we've talked a lot over the years about how, you know, all of the Star Trek licensees are one big happy family and we all work together and love working together. And that's true, but this year I think has been the year that's really, really kicked into high gear for our game. Uh, you know, we had uh, seeing the, the Enterprise F in the Picard comic as like this full splash page was amazing. Um, getting to go to the Eagle Moss booth and see our ships you know, sitting there amongst all of these canon uh, ships and ships from other franchises like Alien and Battlestar Galactica. It's it's really, really cool because I think, you know, our game for a lot of people really feels like a real part of the Star Trek universe, not just, you know, a tie-in licensed game. Uh, and so it's nice to be able to put ourselves on that pedestal with everybody else and say, yeah, also, like, we're Star Trek too. And that it, it's just a really cool feeling. Well, and, and with all the energy at CBS around Star Trek right now, you know, starting with sort of Alex Kurtzman wanting to do all these different shows, and I think there's a, a groundswell of, of just resurgence and energy around the brand itself, and so that energy, I think, is um, helping various companies connect the dots and build these relationships. So it sounds like a little bit of a buzzword, but it is indeed uh, quite synergistic at the moment. Do you think that the relationship has kicked into high gear because CBS seems to be more on board with with this kind of synergy? To a certain extent, absolutely. I mean, with the way uh, Star Trek is blowing up right now with, you know, like we're going to have uh, sometime in the next couple of years, maybe have four different Star Trek shows on the air at the same time. Um, there's a lot that they want to cover and they want the brand to grow. Um, but I think it's also been, there's been people um, like Andre, like uh, Deanna Whitney over at PWE, uh, and especially uh, Thomas, our lead ship and UI artist at STLV this year. He was busting his butt running around and setting up relationships and dinners and meetings just to try and, you know, get us talking to as many different people as possible. And I think that's really paid off as well. Now, shifting gears a little bit back to the game itself and, of course, its mechanics, we are moving into its 10th year. You know, we're about to celebrate an, an immense milestone for an MMO. One of the recurring questions that keep popping into my head is, what will Star Trek do? What can Star Trek do to maintain the amazing status and accolades that it has, has earned over the last 10 years and to make sure that players continue to play and bring in new players. What can you say to that? You know, moving into that, into this 10th year in terms of game development, you know, fixing older bugs, addressing player concerns, moving the story forward. What's in your, what's on your whiteboard, so to speak? It's interesting because we, we look at a lot of different things when we plan our seasons and, um, and beyond the seasons, as we look at the, the year ahead, just in our roadmap, it's obviously there's an enormous amount of support that we want to give to our, you know, long running players, the, the folks that have been around for, for years and years. And for that audience, we really think about our TFOs, we think about our patrols, we think about the episodes and the mechanics sort of within them. To your question sort of about or comment about like, 
for new players that are going to find their way in either through the shows or, or some, some channel. Part of the goal that, that I think we've started to execute on is just not just rolling out the red carpet, but, but rolling it out and leaving it out. You know, it was really interesting, like when I joined the company and I, I was playing through the game because I had lapsed a bit. You know, I played it before it was free to play, played it a little after, but didn't really double down on it until, until later. And, you know, I had a lot of questions for the group coming in. You know, I asked questions about like, well, when can I do this or that or the other thing? And ultimately, the way the game was set up was you pretty much had from level one to end game was a very particular type experience. And then the floodgates open at end game where then it became a bit more social with all of your, with all your TFOs, your competitive stuff, your crafting, your, all, all the various systems sort of open up on that Christmas day when you, when you ding max level. And so one of the things I wanted to do was like, and there's so much good stuff to be had, particularly like in the, the TFOs, and also when I started, you know, just stumbling uh, into patrols, and I was like, well, well, why aren't these supported anymore? These are fantastic, action-packed, bite-sized, you know, action pieces. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that, like, for the leveling player, sort of the delta between the leveling experience and the end game, uh, we tightened that up to where it really felt like one big cohesive experience all in support of itself. You know, in the leveling experience now, you'll you'll have access to patrols, you'll have access to events, you'll have access to TFOs that sort of intro introduce you to that and, and more open up later. A big part of that effort was to try to really make it feel like one big cohesive experience, no matter sort of what level you're at and, and where you're at in your, your player progression. Yeah. I think, you know, STO being a 10-year-old game was originally designed in a... 10-year-old MMO design philosophy of, like, you know, you play the game and Absolutely. then you play the end game. And I think that nowadays, modern games um, are more about, you know, level your way. You can log into Destiny tomorrow and only yeah. play PvP and level all the way up to the max level. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's a really great effort that we've really been doing in the last two years since you got here of trying to make the whole game open so that people can play the content they want to play whenever they want to play it. I'm not a player that rolls a new character every you know every every other day mm -hmm. I, you know it's something I, I haven't been able to do but i wonder when you hear back from the community when you hear back from you know the the players who've been playing this game for 10 years and you know they have an opinion or a criticism about the game do you think it's because they're missing out on these changes that are really that that may be experienced or or designed to move the player along so like you said it's not just an open the floodgates at level 60 uh for end game content but there's actually a, a a a gradual progression now as you level up to put it bluntly change is scary um and i think a lot of our players are most our most dedicated players they love the Star Trek Online that they've been playing for 10 years because they've been playing it for 10 years and so sometimes something that may be a good thing or a benefit or so help bring in new players or make the game a little bit easier to play um, can seem negative in the eyes if you've been playing it a certain way or if you've experienced something the same way for 10 years. I mean, if somebody, for example, like really, really loved one of the missions we took out of the mission journal because they fell in love with it, you know, when it came out eight years ago, they may not be able to see that it's not necessarily the highest quality mission uh, in the same way that, you know, I might not be able to see 
you know, any of the problems in, say, Wrath of Khan, because I fell in love with that movie when I was 11 years old, you know. Um, and so it's uh, and not that there are that many problems in Wrath of Khan. That was probably a bad How example. dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Let's say Star Trek 3, maybe, because I Star love Trek that Star Trek 5 too. would be a better example. Uh, but anyway, um, and so I think the, there's a little bit of that, but there's that, that also sounds dismissive, and I don't want to sound that way either, because <laughs> uh, there have been times that people, we've done something that we've thought would be, you know, a great benefit to everyone, and we've ended up... St- stomping on one of the thousands and thousands of systems in this game um, just because there was too much for us to keep track of or you know we didn't understand how uh, players engage with it um, and we're always open and we're always listening to try and make sure that every change we make to the game and everything that we do to uh, improve the flow and make it this more open experience still makes it a better experience for uh, our veteran players, as well as any new players who might join us, and, and you know, just to sort of like um, add to to Mike's comment, there it's like, you know, when you think about us entering, you know, our our tenth anniversary, um, there aren't too many games in this category that last this long. So it's not as if you know everybody on the team has the playbook for how this is perfectly executed. So, you know, we'll be the first to admit that we we stumble along the way, we make mistakes, but a lot of this is trying to figure out, you know, when we've been fortunate enough to have something that's been successful for a decade, how do we maintain that for for players who have different tastes and different ideas about what it should be. And so there is a, with literally every feature, uh, every system we make, there is a, a tightrope component to, to developing it to where we can make sure that, uh, you know, no, no particular group is, is being uh, underserved to the best of our, our ability. Well, I mean, I've really appreciated the accessibility changes. For instance, the patrols, you know, uh, the, the the streamlining of events. These are these are great changes uh, that I think make it easier, especially for newer players, because it's it is in fact a ten year old game with with quite a bit behind it. You know, quite a lot of content in it, and 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 complicated systems that that can be scary. But with these changes, as you mentioned, make it accessible for the new incoming player. What else is on your radar in terms of adapting or changing to make the game more accessible? So, for instance, uh, we've spoken about patrols. One of the recent changes was allowing Romulan, the Romulan ships to be flown by the factions. Is there something that you are just laser-focused on that you'd like to change? That's a good question. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things that, like in the past year, that we've at least kicked off. Um, I, I would think probably everything we've touched we want to get back to in some way. And there's a, a constant kind of tug of war, you know, in a creative environment where do we take some time and improve something? Do we fix something that's broken? Do we take something that we've, you know, removed from the game to be the ride we've shut down that we need to fix and put back online? Or do we build something new? You know, I think right now, as we're sort of getting to that end of the year where we've had a, a moment to reflect while we're developing the anniversary, which is very much sort of a best of, a, a thank you to, to Stowe players, we're, we're actually in the midst of all that right now, figuring out, you know, which things, which things we want to improve, which new things we want to introduce, which things we may have kicked off that um, 
may not advance further. It, it, it's sort of hard to say at this point because everything has come up. Like a number of times, for instance, um, endeavors. It's like we've talked about that. You know, we have universal, we have personal. Do we make that rank mean something other than sort of bragging rights? Um, do we extend the content in there? Do we, you know, it's like those kind of conversations happen about every system in the game. You know, we talk about like what's next for crafting. You know, that that's actually a conversation that's been, been being had recently. There is a heck of a lot on the table. Uh, there's a really interesting new system that we're, it isn't quite um, developed enough to talk about, but um, a lot of balls in the air right now, and, and they're all interesting. You know, I think we're going to take the holiday break, we're going to get uh, the anniversary launched, and um, you know, sort of settle in to figure out which, one, which, you know, which particular things we want to lean further into. Now, in the last 10 years that Star Trek Online has been in development, in terms of scope, where does the 10th anniversary celebration land? I've only been around for two. Uh, Mike's been around for a couple of more than me. But, you know, one of the things that's been interesting is we've been doing uh, a lot of interviews, talking to a lot of press, and um, it's been really exciting to be able to take folks from the team who have actually been here 5, 7, 10, 15 years, and we've been... Uh, specifically sort of selecting some of those folks to speak out so they can talk about sort of what it was like on this full journey. I mean, I can tell you from sort of anecdotally what I've heard from the team and like stories that I've heard and the experience I've had, everybody uh, on the team and within Cryptic is super excited to be, you know, sort of getting to our 10th birthday at at a level of success we've had. It's um, the player base is strong. The game health, the financial health has been strong. We're really excited because a lot, a lot of free-to-play games, you know, whether it's mobile, PC, console, it's like they might burn really hot for a short period of time if they're lucky, and maybe they get a year or two or maybe three, you know, unless you're one of the outliers. And and for us to be, we feel truly blessed to be in a, in a conference room thinking about, like, what new cool thing can we add to something that's uh, reaching its 10th birthday. Yeah. So... In my mind, this, this this ranks as high as it possibly gets, you know, the, the double-digit anniversary. I'm sure all of them have been special to the team members that have been part of them, but uh, I'm definitely seeing some mojo, some swagger, and um, everybody just super excited to, uh, to celebrate this. I think without spoiling too much, the idea the team had for the anniversary and how to make it a love letter to, to Star Trek Online and Star Trek in general... Is, was a really, really exciting one and a really, really different one than what I would have expected. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I've now played some of it, and I'm, I'm really glad we went the direction that I did, uh, and that we did. Um, I think it's, it, yeah, I didn't do it. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, I think it's, people are going to be really excited about it. I don't know if that answers the specifics of your scope question, but I think people are going to be really excited about it. We will simmer on that one and wait patiently until until the 10th anniversary begins. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and with the event system that we've been developing now since uh, it was introduced in, in Season 18, um, we're really trying to expand on it. Like, what, one of the pieces of player feedback we got that, you know, some of the events sometimes folks get um, a bit... Uh, Fatigued playing sort of one piece of content over over uh, an extended period of time. So, in the next featured event, you know, coming up quite soon, 
there will be multiple content types that you can play so that um, you know you can keep it fresh and you know as we've resurrected and breathed uh, incredible new life into the patrols the team's excited about building those and and remastering and, and all sorts of things so between you know the game's rich catalog of episodes tfos patrols uh, you'll start seeing in our events you'll see more and more things populating it uh, populating that list of of sort of criteria to to contribute towards your progress we're exploring new uh, even you know new ways to uh, yeah. to add to that as well if I can take off my dev hat and put on my player hat for a second I love so much that we've changed events so that you can play multiple things just like being able to do any event on the winter event this year or um, when the breach came back having the patrols to play instead if you didn't want to do the breach that day it's just it's it's nice to be able to progress towards the stuff you want without having to do the same thing over and over as a player I also agree Exactly. And, you know, as a casual player, I agree. I mean, uh, the event ship for the winter event isn't one necessarily that uh, appeals to me, but there have been other What's ships. What's wrong with you, Elijah? <laughs> We're fighting now. I, but, but for instance, you know, I've been playing for 10 years. I've gone through several winter events and there have been ships that I've earned. I would have loved this feature, you know, those times instead of having just that have to experience that one event. I would be able. I am now able to play the entire map and 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 contribute. While we're on the topic of the event system, um, the winter event ended up being low buy as the cash out prize, or the cash out money currency. Was that an experiment? Was that on purpose? Was that by or rather by design? It was kind of a little of both. Um, I think, and Andre could probably speak more to this. But um, you know, in the past, the winter ship. Uh, was something you could sort of buy out with low buy. You could buy, um, you could go into the low buy store and buy event progress that you could slot into the event, old event system. And so I think we thought when we're putting in the buyout for the new winter event, it's probably better to keep it to the same currency rather than try and switch it out. I mean, that's that's pretty much hitting the nail on the head. I mean, and sort of like zooming out a level from that. We want to look at our featured events. Uh, winter, summer, and winter are a little bit different because they're, you know, they're bigger. They have, um, you know, long-running sort of history behind them. But like, we don't want to be entirely predictable. You know, it, it's it's more interesting when we can think of um, of different ways to sort of run these events. And in the end, you know, there's a number. Of, of viable, valuable currencies in the game between Zen, to Lithium, and, and Lobi, and even gold pressed Latin. Yeah, we might even you know find a, a way to make um, GPL viable in one of these things. But um, in the end, it's um, you know all the currencies are incredibly valued to the to, to the economy of the game. So you know as you see right now the the you know running Lobi. You know, don't don't be surprised if you see that again, or or one of the other currencies, or maybe even in the future some uh, some combination of currencies, which we've been talking about as well. Now, recently you made the Phoenix lockbox a persistent thing, where now you can you can get them in the Delithium store constantly, at least for the time being. No longer doing the free box giveaway for a limited time. Can you talk a little bit about the the decision process behind that and how you're hoping that will affect the players? Part of it is a lot of the activities you do in the game, the events, like a primary source of, of reward is Dilithium. And for us to sort of periodically 
you know, give you access to one of the greatest sort of um, storefronts where you can actually use that hard-earned currency, it, it wasn't making a lot of sense. With some of our other sort of boxes and promos, like quite often, it'll be predicated, like it'll a new item will be part of like the launch or whatnot. But with the Phoenix box, people are coming into and out of the game all the time. I thought about how disappointing it might be for a player who plays a casual player, maybe somebody who's even sort of, you know, more than casual, who happens to miss the Phoenix box. And then they're just sitting on currency that's unspendable. Not um, to mention an upgrade weekend comes around, but you missed the last Phoenix weekend. Yeah. So everybody's telling you you're wasting your upgrades. Like, So it, it felt like a natural thing for us to attempt it, and just leave the store open. And then rather than sort of like the, the free opens um, with a periodic run, we'll do the opens as a as a periodic thing but but leave the box available to where you know it's uh accessible based on a flexible player schedule rather than when when we decide it's right for you to spend it and now moving on to some just story questions joshua selig one of our patrons asked uh moving into 2020 are we going to hear back from the herc the dominion old enemies what about voyager it's the 25th anniversary of voyager do you have plans for that looking into uh, 2020 we're not talking too much about our 2020 stories today, um, partially because uh, a lot of the actual story beats are still in like that whiteboard phase you were talking about. I know they had a meeting Quite this literal. morning talking about that stuff, and I saw some of those scribbles on the whiteboard <laughs> afterwards. Al has a story that he's been itching to do. He's been talking to me about it at least for um, over a year, I think, yeah. um, that I think we're finally moving into. Um, and unfortunately, we can't say much about it. I think it's right safe, now, to, but safe to say it's in our timeline. Yeah, it's in our. T- it's in twenty four ten. I think we safe to even safe to say it deals with Jula to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. We can we can talk about that. Uh, or sorry, Jula. Uh, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, there's not much we can say. Partially because it's far away, and we want to save some surprises for you guys. And partially because we're not entirely hundred percent sure how that story is going to flow yet. We have some major beat ideas, but we're not down to the nitty gritty details. It's a really exciting arc, though. I mean, we've already talked to um, IDW about it and CVS. They're excited about it. It's possible. You know, there might be sort of companion elements in the comics. We'll see if that that plays out. But um, it's a fantastic, you know, sort of a a classic Trek type of story arc. Yeah, it's like we're, you know, we're pretty excited to get back to uh, that space. Ooh, are you introducing the Emmett Till? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know. No comment. <laughs> I, I think it's it's also safe to say, like, if you look back at sort of how we've done things, there are no fewer than two Trek shows coming this year. I mean, we've got uh, Picard up next month, and then we've got Discovery Season 3 later next year, and, you know, there's likely to be other stuff here, there. You know, sort of opportunistically, you know, we look at things that, the, that fans really liked from the show, whether it be Weapon armor, ship, costume, whatever it happens to be. And we will be developing sort of um, things that are topical uh, along with those shows. At this point, we don't have plans for those to be drivers of our narrative. But uh, anything that, you know, cool gadgets and anything exciting you see, yeah. n- know that it's probably on our list somewhere. Yeah, we'd like, we like to do crossovers and tie-ins with those games the way we have Star, or with those shows and the way we have Star Trek shows in the past. But I think 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think we're moving more towards we're going to tell our own story and tie it into the, those shows as we can rather than for Age of Discovery on purpose, we sort of said, okay, we're going to tie into this first season as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, w- one of the things that Star Trek Online players have really enjoyed over the last year is the roadmaps, the content roadmaps. I know you can't talk about stuff coming up, but could you give us an idea of when we might see another roadmap? Well, the last one ended in January, so that should mean we should have a new one in January. Uh, And the first emails for that went out today. (laughs) So we'll see if it comes out in January. It might be February uh, because a lot of people are busy who need to create assets and make decisions on that, and it's our last work week here. And we want to... A lot of games do this, but... um, You know, we take a lot of pride in sort of saying, hey, these are sort of our intentions. And like, I like to have a degree of accuracy and just sort of integrity in these things. So I'd rather be a little late, but give you what the the latest and greatest news than just sort of, you know, putting a bunch of stuff on a page and having it not come to pass. Which I think we sort of did with the last one, the last roadmap. And I, you know, I I will admit this is as much on me as anything else. We, we... You'll notice if you look at it that the first few months are bang on and accurate, and then as it gets to the end of the year, other than saying the anniversary was coming, it's pretty it's pretty far off base with what we ended up actually doing because yeah. all that stuff at the end of the year was stuff that we thought we would like to do rather than stuff that we knew for sure we were going to do. Sure, and, and like I, I think with anything, you know, the further out you get, you you lose resolution, but yeah. like. At the time it's published, it is best intentions and and the plan as we know it. And as such is with life, um, things change. Things change. Well, I think that's a really good spot to wrap this interview. But before we let you go, it's open mic. And we want to ask you if there's anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share with the Star Trek Online community and greater Star Trek community as well. Uh, I'm just going to tease that... um, to tease the anniversary, there's something that I'm working on right now for January that I'm really excited about. Um, and I can't say anything more than that, but uh, if it works out the way I hope it will, it's going to be really cool. I think I can I think I can add to that tease just a little bit and mm-hmm. still be safe. And understandably, we've gotten a lot of uh, comments over the years about um, interesting, different, important sort of ships being in promos and lockboxes, things like that. And I think I mentioned to you guys uh, once before, at least, that we are exploring ways to try to get um, more of these things. In in the spirit of accessibility, we're trying to make more of these things uh, accessible. So, you know, we've got a really interesting... You sure? Are you sure? Uh, Are you sure you want to go this far? This is about as far I as think I'm he's sure. Yeah. I think no, 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 no. I think he's yeah. sure. I think he's sure. Think he, it's a really interesting. We've got a really interesting coming up. Yeah. We, we've got an interesting coming up, and I think uh, <laughs> I, I think it addresses some of the feedback. Yep, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Speculate, speculate away. Speculate away. We will. We will. <laughs> Just put put it on the headline. We have an interesting we, coming up. Yeah, interesting coming up. <laughs> you know, I've I've been guilty for my entire career of just sort of like spoilers and things like that. And you know, I think we'll have. You know, it's been a lot of fun to talk about you know, where what 2019 has been. And I think as the plans firm up for 2020, I think we'll have uh, a lot to share. It's um, but it's really interesting, and, and it's not just a Star Trek uh, online thing, but most projects I've worked on, I don't know if it's sentimental, I don't know if it's the time of the season, but like end of year sort of ends up um, 
quite often because uh, if you look at the industry, a lot of stuff ships in the fall, and then there's sort of like this brief exhale through the through the winter months if you're lucky. It's a time where you can start thinking about uh, creative ideas and sort of look back and look forward at the same time. Uh, what can we fix? What could we add? What should we change? How do we address some of this feedback? And we're literally, you know, we got whiteboards full of this right now with, you know, sort of priority ratings and things like that. And we're <laughs> just trying to figure out sort of what we can do with the team we have without sort of derailing the uh, uh, roadmap cadence. So I expect we're going to do a lot of cool things. You know, if you look at sort of the list and some of the things we've gone through today, I couldn't have told you a year ago that these are all the things we'd accomplish. I'm super proud of the team that we're able to do them. And I hope that for the fans, I hope, you know, something, you know, uh, beyond our content, something from our list uh, helped their gameplay. We're expecting big things next year for ourselves. Wonderful. Well, we most certainly look forward to it. I want to thank you both again for joining us on our last episode for 2019. We look forward to what's coming for both our podcast and your game for Star Trek Online in 2020. Thank you both so very much. We hope you get some rest uh, in the coming holiday weeks before it ramps back up for the anniversary. Thank you very much, guys. We, we enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy holidays. Again, we want to thank our very special guests this week for joining us on our last episode of Priority One for 2019. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, we asked, now that Viacom CBS is a reality, what do you think it means for Star Trek? From Twitter, Gabe Weisdorfer writes, I think it's going to be great for the Star Trek universe. Characters from the TV shows can appear in the movies again, and vice versa. At least a lot easier. I'm very excited to see what they do with it. I, so really the only one that we have to worry about in terms of crossovers, or not worry about, but rather the only crossover that there would be is Kelvin Divergence with Prime Line, right? That's really it, because all the other films had actors from this TV series. They just signed a different deal, or it was still Viacom CBS at the time then, too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Paramount. Well, right, in Paramount. theory, this also means that they could hire Kelvin actors to play their counterparts on, I don't know, mm. a Star Trek Pike show? <gasps> mm. Perhaps, perhaps. From Twitter, Rebecca Skipper writes in, Well, I hope this means that some of the comic book stories, i.e. Destruction of Romulus, can be explained in film. Also, Disco has created a gap. What happens to Laurel by the time of TOS? Maybe we can learn more about what happened between Nemesis and Trek 2009. In other words, there are lots of stories to be told that can bridge the gaps. I can't read comics because they are not accessible to me as a blind Star Trek fan, so I'm missing out on intriguing plots. You know, this is interesting for somebody who um, cannot see, right, and cannot digest a comic book the way uh, others can. I'm hoping that the novel that is coming out for Picard leading up to the story incorporates what's happening in the comic books 
or rather is the novelization of the comic books, right? Like, you know, you know, sometimes like for a comic book series, like I have two, I have the death of Superman novelized and I have <gasps> Batman Nightfall novelized and not just the comic books. I have those two, but I also have the novelizations of those. I haven't read them, so I don't know if they do in fact stick to the story of the comic books. Hopefully they do, and hopefully we have that that same symbiosis between the comic books and the novel so that no one is feeling like they're wasting their time gearing up for Picard. And also offering content that is accessible to everyone. Last week we also asked, have you ever played Star Trek 25th Anniversary? Do you have any favorite old Star Trek video games? From Facebook, Mark Jenkins says, old games, who doesn't love Birth of the Federation? It was and still is an amazing game. Still play it to this day. From Twitter, Panagiotis Lialios writes in, My favorite Star Trek game of all time is Star Trek Klingon Academy. From Facebook, Mike Warnez writes, The oldest Star Trek game I've played is Star Trek Invasion for the PlayStation. My favorite, I guess, old Star Trek game is Star Trek Bridge Commander, which is still alive and kicking as modders keep providing content for the game. The Kobayashi Maru mod is highly recommended. Honorable mentions, Star Trek Shattered Universe, Captain Sulu and the USS Excelsior gets transported to the Mirror Universe on the PS2, and Star Trek Armada 2, as well as Star Trek Legacy. Five captains, five eras, and an origin for the Borg. Yeah, those are all great games. Um... There a few of them I actually haven't had the chance to play, but um, I hear very good things about them. And Bridge Commander is, I mean, can't say enough about Bridge Commander. Via email, Jerry Stokes writes, I still have the 25th anniversary game. My 10th and 11th grade music teacher is, was, named Faborg. What are you thinking now? Well, that wraps up episode 442 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But just because this is our last episode of 2019 doesn't mean there aren't more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And before we go, here's our community question for this week. If Star Trek development project number two isn't a film directed by Tarantino, what do you hope it is? Captains, it's important to us you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at priorityonepodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at priorityonepod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday. Just open your favorite podcast app and run a search for Roddenberry. There you'll find us and our friends on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, or Twitter. Just keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And you can expect us to return on Tuesday, January 7th, with episode 443. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters and me and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. 
With regular giveaways, there's always something for players, new and old. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our community patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. And even if you cannot make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about this show and invite your fellow Trekkies because it's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Well, Captains, that's it for 2019. But of course, before we go, we need to thank our audio editors, including William Hardy, Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Roscoe McQueen, Skiffy, and the newest addition to our audio team, Graham Bowers. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the production of our weekly show, along with support from associate producer, Shane Hoover. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support all these years and into 2020, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Suit off. Engage. Did you mean to say my precious prediction? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I did not mean to say my precious <laughs> prediction. Oh, okay. I meant to say my It was fine. I was going to let it go. I was going to let it go. Oh, I mean, I thought it was cute. My precious. <laughs> my precious I, I prediction. Often, I, I oftentimes think of Elijah as Gollum. <laughs> Last week, we asked you. Last week. Last week, we asked you. Now that, that's <laughs> really hard. <laughs> Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.